Hello everybody, welcome to the And Again podcast. I think this is episode 8, but now we're in the midst of the World Cup and content's going to be coming quick and fast. My name is Omer, I am a football writer and analyst and I'm joined as always by my co-host H, a football content creator that focuses on the tactical aspects of the beautiful game. There's so much to talk about. We're on a limited time frame, but the plan is throughout this World Cup, we're going to be giving you more episodes, uh, maybe maybe not the one hour episodes but to be fair if we have time i'm sure we'll waffle on and and make up longer uh than, than the 30 40 minute slots oh, that, that we want to do yeah as always i think the last one was was literally an hour um but we're here to talk a little bit about some of the fixtures we're recording this just after spain have won 7-0 against costa rica um which was an insane game and we'll obviously touch upon that but there's been a week of crazy results uh, and, and this is the first time i speak to h about about any of the world cup so h fella tell me tell me how you've been and and what you've made of the world cup so far man do you know what i just, when i watched um when i watched qatar and ecuador i thought just doesn't have the buzz yeah and then as i went went to watch england went to watch england at like hotel football and i was like you've got really the, like the event parks like one six two i was like yeah. oh, it's not it's not it's, like, it's not booming but then after the game after england had won i was like i'm actually I'm actually really starting to like this like proper like it and then when argentina got beat off saudi arabia i was like yeah this is this is a proper competition like, yeah that that um, game i honestly, celebrated like yeah. i celebrated like i was from saudi arabia i mean like the, the second goal so that know. went in it, I celebrated it like um, when when Gundogan scored that winner against Aston Villa, and I was proper screaming. I was jumping up. It was insane. To, to be fair, you had some serious receipts. Honestly, yeah. honestly when, how did you? What did you watch? What did you do? Did you go back and watch them? Or yeah, well, in prep for the World Cup, um, I think a few days before there were a couple of friendlies, and I watched Saudi Arabia play against uh, Croatia. And it was sort of like Croatia's B team in the first half, and then uh, Croatia brought on like the big guns, Modric, um, Kovacic, uh, I think Perisic, um, although he might have started, but but they brought on a lot of basically their, their first team. And when I was watching that game, I was really really impressed by Saudi Arabia, and they lost one nil um, by by Modric playing this long pass, this long diagonal, I think to Perisic who ran in behind and then cut it back and, and they tapped it in. That was a pass that Argentina were trying to do a lot of um, when, when they played, but they didn't have Perisic. They had um, Tagliafico and Acuna doing it and, and they don't have the quality that Perisic does. So so yep. when I was watching that game, I saw like a really good high press, a really brave team that also have a lot of technical quality to get out and, and impose some of their own attacks uh, on the opposition. Um, and then obviously I know Renard uh, and his international pedigree, obviously winning AFCON with Zambia, Ivory Coast, qualifying Morocco um, to the World Cup as well after many, many years. So when I was putting all of these pieces together, I went back and watched a few more games, looked at sort of their players individually. Mohamed Kano as well in, in midfield really impressed me. I was like, people are writing this team off far, far too early. And I think it's obviously because... They, they aren't too familiar with Saudi Arabia um, as a team in general. Yeah. But but when I watched them, I was like, this is a really impressive outfit. And the, the game basically played out how I expected it 
to go just off of that one watch, that first watch um, of that friendly against Croatia. I, I saw sort of the weaknesses, but also a lot of the strengths. And, and the weaknesses were things that Argentina tried to do, but they didn't have the players to execute it. So so I was gassed. I, I dunked yeah. on my lovely, lovely friend, Tom Garrett. I felt so bad. I always wanted to delete the tweet because uh, people were cooking him a little bit. But the fact is, everybody who nah. was cooking, everyone who was cooking Tom Garrett, would have had uh, would have had Saudi Arabia as finishing dead last in the group as well. Oh, oh, hundred percent. When I was like, when I was thinking about it, I was like, I don't know where you've pulled this one out from. Like, <laughs> do you know what's crazy? You've been tweeting about um, what's a Japanese lad from uh, a um, I've been tweeting about him from the Olympics yeah. when he played in the Olympics. And, you, and I was like, you posted that tweet, and it was like, oh, I was watching Japan at the Olympics, and Matoma stood out to me, nice player. It was like two years ago. Yeah. Like, what the fuck? Like, nah, man, it's not. And then when I was like, I was watching Argentina and I was thinking, so I, obviously we we all seen the like the offside trap, the high line and stuff. They were trying to catch him offside. Yeah. Bit of controversy, blah, 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 blah. blah. But um, it was like, I just felt like Argentina, like with the front line they had, it was like the perfect game plan. Yeah. Uh, it, just, that- it just suited them like, I don't know. Well, no, no, I completely agree with with the plays that that were picked. I think in that first half, if you maybe had a Julian Alvarez as as this right striker and and Lataro as the yeah. left striker, you might have got more joy in that situation. Um, but but I did tweet earlier today that I think three offside goals. The the fact that you celebrate that and and you get such a high these World Cup goals, you're getting players who are like achieving their dreams. Do you know what I mean by scoring at the World Cup stage, and then it gets disallowed, and that happens three times. Um, so so that's obviously going to be demoralising. And I think it played on a lot of the players who didn't want to play as direct going into the second half, who didn't have the energy, first of all, in comparison to Saudis players who were extremely energetic. And, and that was they like, were so off- energetic. It was honestly. crazy because... Well, I, didn't, all, I didn't expect the fitness levels, honestly. I didn't expect that. A couple of them got cramp at the end, to be fair. Um, but but yeah. Renard, uh, uh, Renard sorry, apparently gave this really rousing, like crazy... Um, half-time speech and then obviously you have the the Saudi Arabia fans who I think Saudi Arabia basically have a home support and a home advantage in Qatar more than Qatar as well um, based on how many fans have traveled over and how dedicated and and how vocal they are so all of those factors basically uh, to me that Saudi Arabia side almost looked like a international version of of Liverpool with that crazy highlight with the atmosphere with with the intensity and, and the energy and with the, with the individual with brilliance, and yeah, and the individual brilliance from the goalie yeah. as well. That's a that's an Allison impression, uh, if I've ever seen one. That was so that was one of the craziest goalkeeping performances I've seen in a while. You know, yeah, honestly, oh, I've, I've put in there that uh, guy, man. Yeah, that's one of the best goalie performances that I've ever seen for sure, man. I just think I was just watching it, and uh, and I think it kind of goes hand in hand with the uh, the Japan win against Germany. And I was just thinking, like the tactical evolution in football now, like just the the level of um, the level of coaching and management there is now in the, even some of the lesser international countries. There were still good football insides, but they're not your your top nine. Hmm. Are just like ridiculous. Like the overall the overall coaching of these teams. Like there was a mad tactical tweak in the in the Japan Germany game that effectively won them, where they put like Matoma at left wing back. Yeah, and like they, they completely changed the shape, and I was a bit like, you just we're never used to seeing this, you know what I mean? I feel like 
you know what? I, I think people were kind of thinking Iran and Qatar, like they 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 were two of the lesser teams, and they got they got rolled over, and they did look quite bad. But I was thinking yeah. to myself when I watched when I watched them two, I'm like, these are also lesser sides who are probably a bit better, but just the 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 level of the coaching and the management of them teams already is just nuts to me, honestly. Yeah, and I was just gonna say like with Japan. In, in the first half, I think Germany really dominated the game and really dominated, yeah, uh, like entirely. Basically, I, I thought they were really good in that first half. Um, the game was basically won and lost for me in the substitutions, which is really interesting because obviously people really rate Hansi Flick as as one of the greatest, uh, sorry, one of the best coaches in, in world football. But he was outdone uh, in the second half by by I don't even know who Japan's coach is. I'm going to search up just to give him his his. Props here. I've seen um, him doing that speech at the end of the game. All right, I'm going to butcher this pronunciation, but Hajime yeah. Moriyasu. Uh, he, I think he's the. I wasn't too bad. Yeah, it, it wasn't as complicated as I thought, but um, but he his his in game substitutions were, were were wonderful, and I think Flick, on yeah. the other hand, first of all changed his attacking players almost for the sake of it. I think the ones that he brought on didn't have a chemistry or cohesion like the ones that who, who were playing. And they obviously lacked quality in relation to those players as well. And then taking off Gundogan for me, although Gundogan sort of missed the opportunity to play a couple of passes, Gundogan was the one who was getting on the ball, making these short passes, controlling the game. And, and Germany didn't look to concede any chances really when, when Gundogan was at the hub of that midfield. Um, and, and even if Germany was sort of losing the momentum a little bit when Gundogan came off, I think he gives you more of an ability to regain that and, and stamp your authority on the game than a Goretzka. So it is really props to to Japan and, and their coaching staff for, for making those tweaks. Yeah, it is looking, it's already looking spooky for Germany because they could get handed two out of three losses in the group stage if we've seen a sort oh, of performance yeah. that Spain have just put in. Do, do you know what I mean? Like, I think they are really... They, they, to be fair, I think they were one of my teams that I was looking at as not one of the favourites, but one that they just do go to the semi. Do you know, in your head, you just you automatically like put them there because of you know how good individually the players have got. Did they have a disappointing Euros? Is that right? Well, we knocked them out, didn't we? Um, oh, England yeah. knocked them out. I think. I think in the quarters. group stage though, as well, they had like a, a poor result or something. Let me check. I think they had yeah. a similar situation to, to this in, in the Euros. Um, but but land, land on your point while I try and Google this because I'm, I'm in a Wikipedia yeah, just, page. It, when, when the lineup come up, I was just looking at it and I think it was like Nicholas Sula at right back, um, David Raum at left back. Um, it wasn't a three at the back that I thought, I think they played in the Euros. Um I don't, I don't know. I just personnel wise, the the Germany team just didn't really move me like yeah. at all. Really, I, I don't know. There was just some. There was it was like there was something missing. Um, well, I do and I'm not sure a, quite what better, it is. Little, they need a better better goal scoring threat down the middle. I think that, oh, that's what their main their main 100%. issue at the moment. I think Germany, if they had if they had a half decent number nine, they don't even need like a really good number nine. But if they had a half decent number nine. Maybe maybe a bit more of like a a talisman, a bit more of a you know a a presence in the box. I think they would actually like quite do quite well because they've got. I mean, David Raum is. I think last season when I watched him, it was one of the best crosses I've, I've actually seen. 
Yeah, um, he's really impressive down that, and, down that flank. Yeah, and I just, I don't know, I just think they just need a half-decent number nine in the box. And I just, again, and I, I know like we, me and you have spoke about Kai Havertz briefly on this podcast, but he's just not a number nine, especially not on his own. He did, well, he doesn't see himself as a number nine. And, and oh, I, and no. I know um, I know someone who sort of knows Havertz and has spoken to him. And Havertz is, first of all, a player who thrives when he's playing confident, but that's that's the truth with basically everyone. Um, and he's a player who never sees himself as a number nine, and particularly not a number nine who um, wants to pocket, put his back up against um, like really physical, imposing centre-backs or... or Wait in the box to, to I don't know, like barge and be physical against these really strong and imposing centre backs. He's this guy who wants to arrive late in the box and link play and connect with players deeper and and a little bit wider towards the right in particular. Um, and and those are all things that I've seen watching his games for um, when he was when he used to play in the in the Bundesliga. So the fact that he sort of gets shoehorned into playing this number nine position. Uh, which he might be able to do a little bit as a false nine, but but it's really not the game that suits him. It doesn't make sense for me. Um, and I think the sooner that Jeremy... No. I, I, you know what? I, I really think you can get a player who's of a lesser quality um, as long as they suit the profile a little bit better. I'm sure there's players sort of in the German league somewhere who are a bit more physical, a bit more stocky, who can get players in and around them scoring while occupying some of the centre-backs. <laughs> Well, actually, I think, let me just check how old he is. Nicholas Fulkrug, um, who plays for Werder Bremen at the moment, um, yeah. has actually been really good this season. Did he uh, get... I'm just going to... Yeah, let me just check as well. He's got 10 goals and three assists uh, in 16 games. Um, 10 in 14 in the league with two assists. And I think he is a bit more of... Not necessarily a, um, uh, not necessarily a big centre forward, but a centre forward who is a lot more uh, comfortable. Not, more of a natural nine, in, basically. Yeah, in 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 the nine, and I just, I just think for me, I don't know what it is, but I'm just, I just find it hard to understand why certain people, uh, or not certain people, certain coaches and certain managers really like Kai Havertz playing like as a final action player i went like i i've been a bit of big critic of of havertz at chelsea and i just think when he has played good he's he's never really played good as a as a nine i don't really know what we're justifying this off i think the, he obviously has a lot of technical quality uh and and he shows up in moments and i think obviously if you're watching him in training and things like that it's undoubtable that the quality that he has it's just about whether he can do it on on the stage like sort of over 90 minutes um and, and when you have a player of that quality at your disposal you really want to get them in the side but well first of all i think for germany it's a little bit of the case of they've not really had many number nines who uh sort of stand out at the highest level for 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 their club and then yeah it's just a, a amalgamation of all of those factors that that put habits in there so i i, I yeah. worry a little bit about germany I, I was looking back about the um the euros group stage um, and, and I found it here. So they lost their first game to France, which is what I was remembering as being a little bit similar. Oh, and they, beat, yeah. they beat Portugal 4-2. And then the last game of the group, they actually drew 2-2 to um, to Hungary as well, which is they, they just got through. Um, I think both... Yeah, I remember the group constantly changing. 
Yeah. Um, so so both Portugal and Germany got through on four points uh, and France topped the group. So all three of those teams went through. But the fact is yeah. they only won one game in that group um, and drew to Hungary and lost to France, which is, it, it doesn't really bode well for them going into yeah. these next two games. No, I think I've just, whilst you've just been talking, I've actually just done a little bit of uh, research to see if um, Nicholas Fulkrug has actually played for Germany. Um, and he played in a friendly six days ago or seven days ago. He, he got subbed and on today as well. He got subbed on today as well. Oh, did he? Yeah. Yeah. No, I kind of figured he. I kind of figured he'd gone, and uh, he scored against um, Old Man. I don't, it's not really a great side, but <laughs> he scored in the 79th minute against Old Man, and Havertz was the assister, and it was from that right half space. Oh my! Um, and yeah, 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 I mean, man, come on, man. I just, I, I don't know. I just think. Like if I'm, I wouldn't put a guy at number nine who I don't identify as a number nine, no matter how good he might be in terms of like technical ability. I just think, like, I, I just I think don't really he, understand it. I would rather just put like a guy who just knows what he's doing and has the instincts to play there rather than. You know, you, we, we've seen a lot, a lot of these central forward types who drop deep and link play, and it's not all about sort of the final action or scoring the final goal. Gabriel Jesus has obviously like massively improved Arsenal. Um, even in this gold drought. And I think coaches and, and some fans have that idea that Kai Havertz can, can do a similar role given his qualities. I think he's, he, there's, there's a lot to like when you just look at Kai Havertz's individual abilities, but like, I don't see him as this back to goal kind of player. Um, just in, in the middle of, I don't think he's, I don't think he's as good as a, I just don't think he's as good as a as a link up player like that. Like I think he is a good he is a good link up player, but not back to goal like linking From up a striker. like Gabriel Jesus does. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I just don't I think he's good when he's in central areas, but he can't he can't be like on the last line. Yeah. Because I think you've still gotta have that, you know, fear factor as a number nine that Gabriel Jesus does have where, you know, he can get in behind you. You've always got to look for his movement. He's, you know, he's, he's nipping. Yeah, and, and, and centre-backs are going to look at Gabriel Jesus and think, shall I follow him? Shall I leave him? I think with yeah, someone like exactly. Kai Havertz, you might just let him drop a little bit deeper and just play that, like, backboard pass. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um, fair that's, enough. Well, that's, uh, that's the Kai Havertz analysis right there. <laughs> yeah, that, that, like, there's so many little narratives and, and stories about the World Cup and... We we've gone to yeah. Kai Havertz analysis, which which kills me. But like, fair enough to be fair, it is a it is an important talking yeah. point with with where Germany are at at the moment. Um, have we have we spoken about Saudi Arabia? We've spoken about them briefly. Actually, we, we spoke we did, about them briefly, but we didn't. We haven't spoken about England. We haven't spoken about England. We haven't spoken about Argentina because I think we spoke about that game, but not or Spain. Or Spain, so we'll do those three. I think that's a really nice. Uh, yeah, I, I mean, there's so many. Ecuador were, were amazing in in terms of their their directness and their dynamism as well. Yeah. Um, but but let's talk about Argentina a little bit first, just because we we mentioned Saudi Arabia before. Um, obviously they they've had that injury to La Celso, and I think Arsene Wenger mentioned it in in one of the FIFA conferences a couple of days before the tournament began that. Um, that injury could really sort of hinder um, hinder Argentina a little bit. How, how do you see them going forward in this tournament? And do you, do you think the game against Saudi Arabia was more Saudi Arabia being good 
or Argentina being poor because I think I'd give roses to Saudi Arabia um, and, and, and Poland and Mexico being the other two teams. I would still trust Argentina to get the job done, but uh, I'm really interested to see your thoughts having seen that first game now with Lasso out as well. Yeah, I think, to be honest, I think the midfield, um, I actually I actually thought the 11 wasn't right from the start with Argentina. Mm. Um, I'm just going to, I'm just going to make sure I've got this right. But I feel like the, so the game, the game against Saudi Arabia, they went with um, Rodrigo de Paul, Papu Gomez and uh, Paredes or Paredes. Um, and I just don't think it hasn't. Uh, Rodrigo de Paul was was very poor. Um, I thought. I just feel like one of these midfielders has to be um, one of Rodrigo de Paul or Papu Gomez has to be somewhat shifted for a bit more quality, especially on the ball. Because I think, like you just said with with Giovanni Lacelso, he kind of offers that. I think Enzo Fernandez also offers that. Who was on the bench. Um, and I just think if you're relying on out of them, out of them three midfielders, you're relying on Paredes to do the majority of your, um, volume passing, your passing behind, you know, your circulation. And then apart from that, you've got Lionel Messi. Yeah. Um, and I just think it, it was just too much. I think there was too much pressure. I'm not going to say too much pressure on Lionel Messi because I don't think there was, but there was just too much emphasis on. Saudi Arabia are playing a high line. We've got a quarterback, the greatest player of all time, who can pinpoint passes from anywhere he wants, who can exploit this high line. But in in a nutshell, that was it. But really, it was almost impossible to try and break that line. They didn't have enough. They didn't have enough pace and power in the final action. I thought Di Maria was really poor. Really, um, I, I thought. Well, maybe in the yeah. first half. But I, I, to be fair. Um, Maybe, to be fair, I want to go rewatch the game now, but like, I actually thought, and maybe people would disagree with me on this, but I actually thought Di Maria in the second half was Argentina's best player. Um, only because when anything, so to be fair, in the second half, Saudi Arabia were more, were sat more deep um, and Argentina really dictated uh, possession in, it, after it was 2-1. But I thought Di Maria was the only one who sort of tried to take some responsibility, get on the ball, play these crosses into dangerous yeah. areas. Um, and I, obviously, I'm a massive Messi fan. Messi's one of my favourite players of all time. I think he's top two of all time with Maradona. Controversial. No, no, it's not. Um, and and <laughs> I, I just really expected, like, Lionel Messi to... I mean, it was difficult I given d- how I good Saudi Arabia was. But I wanted him to take the ball and, and put yeah. his stamp on the game. I think Di Maria did that a little bit more. And even if some of his actions yeah. were loose... Um, I thought I appreciated that aspect of his game. Um, and I yeah. wish I saw that from Messi a little bit more, who who was trapped sometimes in the middle or or, or didn't get on the ball as much. At least by I think the that's address. one thing you do see with like, I think, yeah, I think when you do watch Lionel Messi, the one thing that for me hurts on the eye is just when things aren't going so well because he's not a robust presser because he's not really, you know, he's not, he's not nipping in duels. He's not, it's not going to win you the ball, stuff like that. I think when he's really struggling in games, it almost looks like he's lackadaisical. Yeah. When really, you know he's not, but he just looks lackadaisical in some actions when they don't come off. And I feel like I was, I'm, 
I'm on the same page as you. With I was just expecting him. I was expecting like a wicked ball strike just from outside the box, you know, top just to shift the momentum or, a little bit because yeah, just just something that makes you go, oh, there he is, like do you know what yeah, I mean? Stuff like that. Put but some I just doubt think, in, in in players' minds and yeah, get the crowd off the, the field. The fear factor bit. was there. The fear factor was there for Saudi Arabia because everyone knows about Lionel Messi, but I feel like he didn't do anything in the game that made them fear him. And then when the confidence was going with the with the box defending with like the you know the just the confidence growing overall in the game. Yeah, I just feel like you give you give yourself the confidence, and if Lionel Messi's not going to fire back at you, then you kind of you kind of can just you know free reign. You don't have to be scared of him and stuff like that. And I feel like it almost took Messi too long to get going. Yeah, um, I, I think well, and he fair, just ne- th- never ended up getting going anyway. I think in the in the first half where he was getting a little bit more on the ball and playing these passes in behind for. I mean, to be fair, they did score. Argentina did score like three offside goals, and and Messi was yeah. running behind the last line for and scoring on one of them, and I think he passed it for for one of the other ones. So, in those situations, he was impressive. It was just like in the second half when when your team's losing, I just wanted him to do a little bit more, and maybe that's sort of me putting too much pressure on him rather than seeing Argentina as the entire collective. Um, yeah, and I, I don't normally like to buy into narratives like that, um, but I just thought like. Maybe given the space was a little bit wider, get get Lionel Messi on the ball on the right and and have someone else attack the ball yeah. inside and and because we did see that chance where Messi was on the end of a cross from Di Maria I think and I was like I haven't seen Messi head the ball in in years uh, by like the six yard box yeah yeah it was it was nice um, but like I just maybe you want to flip those roles a little bit because I'm looking at the heat map now and and Messi rarely. Um, got it in, in wide areas on the right wing. He, he barely got it there at all. Di Maria touched it a lot there. Yeah. Messi got most of his touches sort of in his own half or by the centre circle. Um, and then the rest were were at the corner flag, um, which is where a lot of his chances came from. So yeah. I don't know. I just expected a bit more influence I think if from they're going to... I think if they're going to... I'm not really. I don't really watch Argentina enough to know how the how the system works, what formations they favour. But I think I'd like to see somewhat more of a of a four two three one, um, mm. and actually have like enough forward players to to have the different dynamics. I think when you've only got really three forward players, you've got Lautaro Martinez, who's a really good like second man striker. Um, and then you've obviously got Di Maria, who's just quality in a nutshell. You know, he's, he's he can move inside really, as well. really good. Yeah, yeah. When he comes inside, he's he's. I actually think Di Maria when he comes. <laughs> totally off topic. Di Maria when he comes to United, I remember like reading a lot. I reading a lot about him after he left and stuff like that. And obviously the way it went, and and I just began to appreciate him so much like more. Obviously, I didn't really agree with the way he treated Manchester United after the fact and and stuff like that. But he's he's got honestly some of the his left foot is ridiculous, especially you know, when he comes uh, inside. I was speaking to someone about De Maria and, and he's really an underrated player. I think he, yeah. I'm pretty sure actually, he, he has the third most assists in Champions League in Champions League history behind Lionel Messi and Cristiano Ronaldo. Um, and then obviously in the yeah, Copa that's... America final, I think he was the best player in that Copa America that they, they ended up winning as well. So on the I feel like stage, no one knows how to rank him. Yeah. Yeah, yeah I would agree with like you in the, in, the gra- in the grand scheme, yeah. I think, yeah, he's always this sort of supportive player. 
because um, mm. there's always bigger names or, or players who might get the actual goal. Um, but he, he's such a creative player. He's obviously dropped into midfield threes throughout his career. I think at Liverpool, uh, not at Liverpool, I don't know why I mentioned Liverpool, uh, at, Real Madrid for, <laughs> <laughs> at Real Madrid for a little bit. That, that, the World Cup yeah. has, has fried my brain. Um but, know, but the fact football is, like, is dead to me at the moment. Yeah, I, I don't know where that team came from. I could have mentioned any international side. Um, that's so bizarre. Um, but but yeah, I, I thought Di Maria was impre- impressive. I think you probably need to get uh, Julian Alvarez in the side. And Julian Alvarez can play out yeah. wide and, and make those darting runs from, from those wide areas. And and maybe yeah. he would have been better doing that than Acuna, for example. Um, I just have a messy yeah. play that diagonal in for, for Alvarez on that side. Um, yeah, I feel like when your width, when your width is coming from, um, was it Molina and Tagliafico who started the game? Yeah, I just feel like when that's your width, you know, penetration. I just think it's not, it's not exactly, you know, incredible. It's not frightening either, directness yeah. or quality wise. Uh, on the right, um, they had Di Maria, um, who who would hold a lot of that width, but but on the left they had yeah. Gomez move narrow. And Tagliafico play as this yeah. this running uh, sort of wide left player. If if they'd watched, and I, maybe they didn't, and I don't want to sort of do them a disservice, but watching that Croatia friendly and where that goal came from, you would have seen that having this dynamic left-sided runner would have done them a whole lot of good, um, especially yeah. with Di Maria and Messi on, on this right-hand side playing that pass. And I just wonder, I'm looking at their bench, is, is there any player who can make that sort of run the only one who I can think of, actually, to be fair, to be fair, McAllister maybe, but but I would have said Julian Garnacho. Garnacho would have been perfect, honestly. In in that yes, sort of I, area, Garnacho would have been perfect. I just I just feel like when you've got when you've got like a, a like you've described him in the in the, uh, in past times as like a quarterback, Lionel Messi. I feel like if you think about when he drops deep and he's on his left foot, what a run like perfectly complements that style of play. Um, yeah, and it's just it's just a direct left sided run, and I just think for the life of me, I just cannot understand why they went narrow on like narrow on the on the left side. It kind of limits his you know game completely, especially when he's been playing at PSG and he's got flying wing backs and forwards who are drifting wide and they're dropping yeah. narrow, and you know, he's always got runners off him. But I just feel like at Argentina at the moment, I just feel like they're sacrificing too many forward players to have a bit too much midfield control maybe yeah to be fair I, I will say that Saudi Arabia we do need to give them props for, for how they defend because the way that they doubled up basically on, on every man who had the ball and their reactive sort of style of defending I mean there were actions that reminded me of like Cannavaro because players were jumping from from central defence like into really wide defending areas winning the ball and having Sort of midfielders drop into that line to, to cover for their teammate. And one thing I noticed yeah. in the first half actually was uh, when they were pressing, so Argentina's midfielders tried to receive the ball sort of a little bit, uh, I think I'd say in the half space, but a little bit deeper. The players who went out to press them were actually the wide centre-backs. The wide centre-backs of, of Saudi's back five, I think, pushed really high. Like um, they closed the distance how how you'd see wing-backs normally close the distance to the opposition fullback, yeah. like they they sprinted like twenty yards to apply pressure in in that way. So I think that was a really impressive aspect of Saudi Arabia's game that meant that sort of those half space midfielders couldn't get on the ball, turn and play the passing behind. 
Um, so, so I do think in in the next games, like I, I don't see Poland doing that, and I don't see Mexico doing that. Um, so, so I think Argentina should be okay going forward. Um, I don't know if you you would echo that sort of sentiment. I think they'd be. I think they'll be okay. I think the group is probably favourable enough um, to not get punished. I feel like the what what's. Let me just. I think I think I've got the group right in my head. Argentina, Poland, Saudi Arabia, and Mexico. And there's Poland and Mexico. Yeah, Mexico. I think, yeah. Well, uh, yeah. Watched, I think well, watched, that might be the easiest group. Possibly. Yeah, I feel like po- Poland. Poland are probably maybe a bigger threat than Mexico in my in my eyes. I'm not really sure about Mexico, but. Mexico um, dominate the ball definitely more than more than Poland, and, and they're happy to sort of play in this four three three like just very like Pep style. Uh, obviously, they they like the quality, yeah. um, but like Poland, will it be will it be a ban- will it be like a banana skin in terms of the fact that it'll be dead biter and tenacious, and yeah, you know, it'll yeah, get a bit scrappy Mexico, because it's South American. Yeah, possibly, and and also the fact that Mexico had had really great support in in that game or a really great atmosphere in that game they also play yeah. with the ball a lot so possibly Argentina it'll be interesting to see who dominates the ball in that game actually um, and if Argentina don't they might have to spring counterattacks again and then you still want someone like Julian Alvarez um, attacking on the other side if if Argentina dominate the ball um, then I don't think Mexico have like the settled defence to, to keep them out um, and then yeah obviously Poland they sit in they I mean, they were playing Zielinski up top with with um, Lewandowski and, and not much link between each sort of bit of their team. Um, and, and they sit deep. If they're sitting deep, I, I think Argentina should be able to pick them apart. Um, and I, I wouldn't yeah. massively be concerned by their counter-attacking threat at the moment. Um, yeah, definitely. Yeah, so it just depends, man. I, I think they'll be all right. <laughs> but but I had them as my my winners uh, in my bracket, I don't know oh, who you shit. had as your winners. Um, I have Brazil to be fair, so they've not played. Oh, okay. Um, I feel like Brazil, if, Brazil are just like screaming vibes. Yeah, I actually have Serbia as my dark horse as well, which is nuts because oh, I didn't know they were in the same group. <laughs> so, so one of your stocks, um, to be fair, unless they finish top yeah, two. Yeah, what, what? Yeah, one of my stocks are tanking. You, you need like a a close game where where Brazil win, I think. Yeah, that'd be nice. Be I good. actually said Ivan Illich uh, will be like my my player that kind of rises to the surface. Oh, I did. I didn't like. I'm not going to call him it. unknown. He used to he used to play he used to play for Manchester City. Did he actually? Yeah, yeah. I, think, I don't know if it was a it was well. It's definitely a youth level, but he's only like 21 years old. But every single time I watch um I watch him play, it's like he stands out like a sore thumb, honestly. Um, he's so good on it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It says here really at, at the beginning of October 2017, the Guardian picked Illich as the most prospective first-year scholar in the Academy of Manchester City, which is there you go, crazy yeah. because obviously we have so many great talents in our. I academy. watched him. I lit. I watched him just before the World Cup uh, break with Hellas Verona, and they played against someone half decent. Oh, there you go. That'll be the two-one. The two-one against AC Milan right before. Uh, oh, he didn't play. Never mind. Won't be that one. <laughs> I, I, I watched him. I watched him for some game. I can't remember what game it was, but it was quite recent. Yeah. And I, I honestly, he was that good that I went to check what nation he played for, and I was like, I need to get him on. I need to get him in, uh, in like Starbucks sort of, right now. Yeah. Some, <laughs> yeah. some content so you can go back to it. 
Yeah. Cool. So so I'll be watching out for Illich. I feel like I should. I feel like a fraud now that he he used to be a, a city player and uh, I've not been aware of his game. Um, but I'll I'll watch some footage before the game so so I can pretend like I'm a savant and and I have this massive wealth of knowledge that that isn't inspired by anybody smarter than me, such as uh, such as H and, and his watch of the Serie A. Um, and I know we said that we were oh, going to speak about England. Serie A lover. Yeah, I know, man. I respect it. Um, Shout out, um, Raspadori. Is that yeah, Raspadori, my, my my good my good winger. Raspadori. Rasp- I say winger, he could be a second striker. Yeah, Raspadori and Matoma. Everyone, everyone says um, everyone's got their own two picks, but but that to be fair, I always mention Matoma as well. But he's he's literally twenty five. He he just started his career, a uh, professional career, later. Um, yeah, and he, I actually he think Illich has, has been injured for a while. Is actually, I think so. Yeah. I'm just I'm checking. I'm checking games, and he's not played since well late October. Is he fit for the for the tournament? I, I I'm guessing he's in, I'm guessing he's definitely in the tournament because when I tweeted it, no one was like he's injured, <laughs> which is uh, a good sign. Uh, let me type in Illich and and search by people I follow, um, and then after after we get. Uh, Oh yeah, no, a couple of people I know know are tweeting about Illich as well. Um, so I think you're safe for now. Ah, uh, oh, I'm in the clear. Breakout unknown player Illich. To be fair, people might not have been responding or, or calling you out even if he was injured because they they don't know him yet because <laughs> the tournament hasn't yeah, happened. Yeah, maybe. Um, to, to be fair, it was definitely it was definitely a uh, Napoli. I've just uh, gone back and checked. Oh no, it's for for what. Oh, what is going on? Never I, mind. I found I found someone that I follow who who obviously I rate their opinions as well. They've said he's this combative, ball winning presser who's quite aggressive. He has good aerial threat. Um, yeah, Mitrovic comparisons, proven scorers. Oh no, this might be a different Illich. There's a lot of Illiches out there. Well, this, no, this Ill- is Illicic. Yeah, this this uh, this Illich is a um, Serbian professional footballer who plays centre forward for. RFS, a Latvian club. So, so that's another one for, yeah, he, for people to watch out for. He's going that's to start by watch. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we'll, we'll we'll tap in for for all of these Serbians, um, and and we were going to mention England, and we were going to mention who else? Spain, but Spain. lads, I need to go, and England will talk about yeah. so much, and, and you're probably bored to death with all of the England talk that you're getting from everywhere. Spain, I'll encourage yeah. you to check out H's TikTok because he's working on another yeah. one here. So we'll push all of the traffic yeah. there. Um, and obviously we'll we'll seek to record another episode of our, our World Cup edition of um and again in the next two or three days um and, and post that basically the same evening. Because we're not doing heavy editing on these real vibes, real analysis, real and, vibes and real good chats. Nice and clean. Um Yes, sir. So uh, I know we we don't cut we don't cut anything out of this. <laughs> yeah, I know, I know. Um, which I really love, man. It, I, I assume and yeah. I hope people haven't complained yet. I think in the first episodes, in the first couple of episodes, I literally cut like extra breaths out because it's like I need this to be really clean and perfect. Um, but yeah. but we've improved how we talk on things, and I think to provi- provide analysis but also keep it conversational is like the best balance. And if you disagree, let us Definitely. know. You can switch it. And if you agree, keep tuning in. We appreciate the support massively. Uh, We'll catch you in the next.
few days. Peace.